From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And I'm here today with Doug Sword, who covers tax policy for CQ Roll Call. Thanks hey, David. How are you doing today? Good. But today we we wanted to talk about something we don't usually get to talk about, an unusual fiscal problem, not directly related to federal tax dollars right now. But a very big one. But a very big one that's looming that doesn't get enough attention. And that is we've got all of these union pension plans about to go bust. Right. There's um, – uh, there's about 1,400 union pension plans in the country. Um, uh, they were, um, um, and they cover about 10 million people total. Uh, and they're backed up by a, a federal entity called the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation. Uh, they take in insurance premiums from the funds, and if a fund fails, they supposedly step in, and or they do step in, and they pay a portion of the benefits that uh, right. uh, people would have gotten. Kind of. Uh, the thing is that it, uh, in its last uh, estimate, the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, known as the PBGC, said they were going to become insolvent in five years, 2025. Now, uh, insolvent doesn't mean they're completely broke. It means their fund is at zero and they can only pay out the insurance premiums coming in. So, so they would have to cut rather drastically uh, how much they're paying to uh, beneficiaries of already failed funds. So all of a sudden, we'd have thousands of pensioners uh, having scaled cutback benefits. We have something approaching 70,000 uh, pensioners currently getting their benefits uh, from the Pension Benefit Guarantee uh, Corporation Fund right now. Mm-hmm. But the problem is that the uh, uh, there's something called the uh, the Teamster Central States uh, 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 Fund that has about 360,000 participants in it, and it is projecting to go out to be insolvent by 2025. Um, and it's no coincidence that they both go under at the same time because uh, uh, the Central States Fund is 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 single handedly paying out more. In uh, benefits this year, almost as much as as the PBGC has on hand. So, so th- th- their shortfall every year is close to what the PBGC PBGC fund is at right now. So, so this is this is the Teamsters' largest pension fund. Is that right? Uh, there are several Teamsters funds th- throughout the country. Uh, uh, some of them are in fine shape. Um, uh, this one is not. Okay, and it's a big one. Yeah, it's. 360,000 people. Uh, the estimate is that uh, uh, they they are $40 billion short of having enough money to pay the benefits that they're on the hook for. Which uh, brings back memories of... Uh, oh, yeah. This is a of, famous fund. It's It's been in movies. I think of The Irishman. I got to talk to you about a problem I got with my pension. Yeah, it's been in, in The Irishman. It's been in... In, in other mob-related movies because the, the, the Teamster Central States Fund was the mob's piggy bank back 60s, in the 60s when uh, uh, there were uh, monies being steered out of that fund to build Las Vegas, basically. Now, that was a long time ago. The fund uh, 
was taken over by the fed, by the federal government in 1982. There was a consent decree, and a, a new investment man mob was run out. The investment manager was an, an, an independent investment manager was brought in, and the mob largely I mean the mob the uh, the fund largely recovered since then. But it is it was famous for. But now it's in such bad shape. You talked to someone who said we we were better off when the mob was running it, right? Yeah, and that was a, a kind of a, <laughs> that's kind of a joke. Uh, it, it, it does point to what the basic problem is for for a lot of these funds. Uh, back when um, uh, when the consent decree w- was uh, put into effect uh, by a, by a federal court in 1982, uh, the central states fund was 40 percent funded. It only had 40 percent of the money it would need to pay all of its future benefits. Um, it recovered to 75%, which is a non-critical number now. Uh, it's now down to 25%. So it recovered, but then it got creamed by the uh, 2000 downturn in the market, and uh, UPS pulled out of the, the Teamsters Fund in 2007, and then the 2008 really creamed them. And and, and they're paying so much in benefits right now. Um, you have to realize, back in the 70s, they were they were like – a large majority of the participants were working and contributing to the fund. Now there's only one out of about six people who are who are, who are in the fund, who are working, and their employer is contributing. Uh, there's all these retirees, and then there's there's all these uh, they're called orphaned um, uh, participants who don't have a company paying in for them anymore. So we just have fewer and fewer workers paying in and too many retirees seeking benefits. Yeah, it's not that different from what happened with uh, the, the coal miners fund. Uh, uh, coal companies went out of business. It used to be there were plenty of plenty of money coming in. Yeah. Uh, and then the coal got down to like one major company com- uh, putting money in and uh, uh, there were like 90,000 beneficiaries. And uh, uh, then the last company went bankrupt in coal last October, which uh, which is why the federal government stepped in and saved the UMW uh, fund in December. And usually, when you think of uh, problems affecting unions, you think of Democrats coming being of the main concern. But this is a problem for Republicans, right? Uh, very much so. It's um, if you look at the vote last summer on there was a rescue bill. Uh, uh, $68 billion to, to rescue these funds. Now, quite a few Republicans called this a bailout bill, but also quite a few Republicans voted for it. Uh, 29 uh, Republicans voted for this bill. In along, the House, you mean? In the House, along with the unanimous Democrats. Uh, and I talked to quite a few of the Republicans who voted for it, and they, they have a lot of central states recipients in their districts. Um, if you look at... Um, um, if you tally it all up, about two-thirds of the central state's participants uh, uh, live in Republican districts. Yeah, so I could see – so that would be a, a main concern for all of those Republican congressmen. Who... And, and also not, not many of them li- live in, in, in the highly urban districts. There's like 39 Democratic districts that, that are under 38,000 in benefits for uh, central states people. They practically have nobody from central states living in them. Uh, but Democrats are still for this. Yeah. Well, so, Doug, it sounds like we've got about five years before this thing. You would think so. Before um, this thing goes bust, right? And it, but, but in Congress time, that's forever. Yeah. I mean, but you have to realize, um, okay, so 43,000 of the, the central states, 364,000 participants live in Ohio. Uh, swing state. Right. Uh, 23,000 live in Wisconsin. 
uh, which is slightly more than President Trump's margin of victory in that state yeah, in 2016. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the participants tend to live in, in, in these swing states. And, and I've talked to members of Congress from, from those, and they think this is going to be an issue for, for this but coming I mean, election in those states. But, I mean, politics aside, the longer Congress delays on this, the more costly it could be to fix, right? Oh, sure. It was a little over a decade ago. They thought they had a $700 million hole. Then it grew to $40 billion. Now it's the latest estimate was $65 billion. And the same guy you got that quote from who uh, said it was better when the mob was running it, uh, he thinks they're going to put it off and it's going to wind up being north of $100 billion. Yeah. So this is a real problem now. That, that Now they did – so the House did try to do a, some kind of rescue bill. Well, Yes, it, but it, it involves basically some very large loans and some grants that supposedly will be paid back. But in its entire history, the PBGC has only had one company pay, pay back uh, or one union plan pay back uh, uh, when it had gone insolvent. So there's a real fear that if, if they approve all these loans that – then never get the government will never get paid back. Well, and the idea is is to guarantee is, is to, to basically sell bonds with the government guarantee, put the money in the union in the union plans, and then they make money off of that, which helps fund their whole. So the, they're they're using the government guarantee, sort of like Fannie and Freddie do on the housing side, but it's it's still I mean, CBO says that's still not enough. Yeah. So where do we go from here? Okay, so there's a Senate effort. It's a white paper at the moment, but we're expecting a bill at some point uh, by uh, Senate Finance Chairman um, Chuck, Grassley. Chuck Grassley and then also Lamar Alexander. Um, the um, That has not been put into to bill form yet, but that does not rely on, on what many would call taxpayer money like the House bill does. It relies more on giving the PBGC more powers and – Increasing insurance rates because uh, these plans used to pay ridiculously low insurance premiums, $3 per member per year. Uh, as it got into worse and worse trouble, it's now up to $29 per member per year. And uh, uh, the Chamber of Commerce has complained that the uh, Grassley-Alexander plan would boost that to 80 as a starting point and then another $250 per participant per year for the troubled plan. So it's basically a tenfold increase. And you have to realize a lot of these plans um, pay just, yeah, a little over $1,000 a month in benefit. They're not usually lucrative plans. And uh, uh, the chamber's concerned that, that for the, particularly for the smaller plans, this would uh, 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 lead to a lot of failures. So I assume the unions aren't that happy with it either. No, I mean, th this is something that both, uh, uh, both the chamber and the unions are, are actually uh, uh, quoting the same uh, economic studies on uh, what the impact of, uh, of failure would be here, that there would be, that you could have basically about a million, million and a quarter people covered by the, the worst off funds uh, could be pushed into social safety net programs, uh, which has been estimated to cost perhaps $300 billion if that occurred, if you suddenly had a bunch of people getting very small pensions going to Medicaid and food stamps. Uh, and the House bill, refresh my memory, it passed? It did pass. The House bill passed. But it um, hasn't gone anywhere in the uh, Senate. The Senate didn't do anything. Right. The, the Senate is countering that they haven't countered with their legislation yet. But you have to realize it's, this is going to be – there was 
a select committee appointed in 2018 that had the task of coming up with recommended legislation. They did not do so, but they were close. And there's only three places the money can come from. Uh, you can cut benefits, which benefits have been cut all over the place uh, right. by, by these plans. You can increase uh, what the companies have to pay in, which there are some companies paying you know, $15 an hour uh, uh, catch-up rates, uh, just really high rates to, mm -hmm. uh, uh, to, to bring these funds back into solvency. And then there's taxpayer dollars. And a lot of people you talk to say the first two have been been tapped pretty heavily. And hey, the uh, Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation took in insurance premiums with the promise that they'd back this up. And it's too bad that the premiums were too low, but they still took them. So we could be looking at a major bill coming down the pike here for taxpayers. Yes. To the tune of, we think, $68 billion, $65 billion, you said, so I, far? Th there are those who use much larger numbers, uh, but the, the, the no number out of, out of uh, Congressional Budget Office is, is $68 billion. Good chunk of change. Yes, no doubt about it. No solution in sight yet, and we got, we got five years or less, I guess, to find a fix. It's a tough thing to make up to, to do in an election year, but it might not be such a tough thing to, to promise to do in an election year when you have some states where— um, that, dependent uh, on these pensions. That were supposedly in the middle of what the president called a blue-collar boom, and they may not be feeling that if they're looking at, it, at their pension futures. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on this on this pension dilemma because that's, that's a big price tag that uh, doesn't get a lot of attention but probably needs to uh, pretty soon. Thank you, Doug, for that. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us an email cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. And thanks, Doug, for coming. Thank you. If you want more on the story, by the way, Doug has a, has a story out now on this in Roll Call that you can take a look at. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. You can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. <laughs>